This is Certified, the OCS Prep Podcast. I'm Alexis. And I'm Amanda. And we're here to help you prepare for your OCS exam. Okay, so today we are going to talk a little bit about the pelvis and SI joint. Um, And so in this episode, you know, typically we don't really talk about anatomy and biomechanics in this podcast. Um, We feel like most of our listeners, if you're studying for the OCS, you likely have a really strong background and understanding of anatomy and biomechanics. Um, But there's... um, and there's often more to other topics that we feel like are more important to discuss. Um, but when we're talking about the pelvis and the sacroiliac joint, we feel like it's worth taking at least a short episode to review anatomy, biomechanics, and terminology. Um, you know, the pelvis doesn't present like other joints in the body, and it's certainly not as well understood. So what we're going to do today is we're going to touch on anatomy, biomechanics, and terminology. And then in the next episode, we're going to discuss a little bit more on dysfunction, assessment, and treatment. Um, And one of the things with terminology, when we're talking through some of this, I think depending on what you're reading, what resource you're looking at, and even sometimes switching between like authors in the same resource, you might see different terms used. So we just want to make sure we're reviewing and that it's really clear um, what different terms are referring to, which movements, which areas of the pelvis and, and so on and so forth. So um, that being said, again, we're just going through kind of quick anatomy lesson here. So when we're talking about the pelvis, I'm going to start discussing the bones of the pelvis. So we've got our two innominate bones, the sacrum and the coccyx. And with each innominate bone, it's made up of the fusion of the ilium, ischium, and pubis. And then the sacrum and the coccyx do not contain joints, and they function as a single unit. The sacrum contains five neural foramina that allow passage of the four sacral nerve roots and a single inferior foramen for the phylum terminale. When we're talking about joints of the pelvis, um, most commonly you hear people say sacroiliac joint or talk about the SI joint. Um, I think sometimes we almost use that term to discuss the pelvis as a whole. But really, when we're talking about the sacroiliac joint, we're talking about the triangular sacrum and how it's contoured to interlock with the two ilia on each side. The sacrum is primarily concave and the ilium is primarily convex. However, these shapes are highly variable from person to person and they're not exactly congruent. And then the next joint we're gonna talk about is the lumbosacral joint. So we're talking about L4, L5, and S1. When we're discussing functional anatomy of the pelvis, we must also consider L4 to L5 vertebra because L5 is tethered securely to the ilia by the iliolumbar ligament. Next um, is the sacrococcygeal joint, and that is where the apex of the sacrum is connected to the base of the coccyx. And then your pubic symphysis, which is where the pubic bones meet at midline, and they're separated by a fibrocartilaginous disc that's covered in, by a thin layer of hyaline cartilage. Um, I also think when we're talking about the pelvis, it's obviously important to always consider the hip joint. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we start discussing um, more of the uh, assessment and treatment that you're going to be doing a lot of hip special tests on these patients thinking there might be SI things to rule some of that out because obviously your hips are very closely connected to the pelvis. The ligaments of the pelvis assist in maintaining stability of the pelvis for force transmission. 
The primary ligaments are the anterior sacroiliac ligament, the iliolumbar ligament, the interosseous ligaments, short and long posterior sacro and, and the short and long posterior sacroiliac ligaments. The secondary ligaments are the sacrotuberous ligament and the sacrospinous ligaments. Um, in discussing muscles, there's many muscles that affect the pelvis uh, through connections to both fascia and ligaments. So we're going to talk really broadly and generally in terms of the muscles and how they move the pelvis. So muscles that anteriorly tilt the anonymous in include the internal hip rotators. So we're talking about the TFL, glute mid, and anterior glute med, and the hip flexors. So your iliopsoas, pectineus, sartorius, and again, the TFL. The muscles that posteriorly tilt the anominates include the hip external rotators. So we're talking your piriformis, external and internal obturator, superior and inferior gemelli, quadriceps femoris, and posterior glute med, and the hip extensors. So your glute max and your hamstrings. The next uh, topic is the innervation of the SI joint or pelvis. So it's unclear where the exact source of innervation is. Um, it kind of depends on what resource you're looking at. So anatomic reviews consistently include the dorsal rami of L3 to S, or I'm sorry, L5 to S3 spinal nerve roots, and less often the ventral rami of L5 to S2. Some sources have found innervation as high as L2 to L3. Although, although there is some controversy on exactly where the ner which nerve roots innervate the SI joint, overall it can be concluded that the SI joint is highly innervated and that it can radiate pain to at least L5 and all sacral dermatomes and myotomes. The SI joint can also be a source of intraarticular and extraarticular pain. Pain can radiate to the upper, middle, or lower buttock, the lateral thigh, and the lower leg. You should also keep in mind that S2 passes through the piriformis and piriformis hypertonicity is common in patients that have low back pain. So this could create a nerve entrapment of the sciatic or common fibular nerve, which I think we've probably all seen quite a bit of that, um, where that nerve can get stuck uh, near the piriformis if it's hypertonic. So moving on to discussing some of the biomechanics. So there's different terms that are used to describe movement at the pelvis compared to other joints at the body. Um, so, you know, we would recommend knowing and understanding all of the potential terms, like I mentioned earlier, depending on um, who might be, um, you know, which re who wrote the resource that you're looking at, you might see different terms that are used. So it's important to know and understand all of those terms um, and what they're referring to. So commonly used terms, um, and I'm going to kind of go through this list and we're going to discuss what the term is and kind of what other terms might be um, and what the movement of the pelvis is in relation to that term. So when we're talking about anterior rotation. We're talking about that anterior tilt of the ilium or the anominates, and that's coupled with hip extension. When we're talking about posterior rotation or a posterior tilt of the ilium or anominates, that is coupled with hip flexion. An inflare is internal rotation of the ilium, which is coupled with hip internal rotation. And an inflare is going to be assessed by palpating the ASIS. An outflare is external rotation of the ilium, which is coupled with hip external rotation. And again, 
that outflare is going to be assessed by palpation of the ASIS. An upslip is the superior translation of the ilium on the sacrum, which can also be known as a superior shear. Nutation is referring to an anterior tilt of the sacral base in relation to the ilium. So with an anterior sacral tilt, you're going to have a posterior iliac tilt. This is also sometimes called sacral flexion. Counternutation is a posterior tilt of the sacral base relative to the ilium. It is um, a posterior sacral tilt, which would be um, combined with an anterior iliac tilt. This would also be known as sacral extension. A sacral torsion is a transverse plane motion of the sacrum, and it's also known as a rotation. So you might hear sacral torsion or sacral rotation. The sacrum rotates around a right oblique axis or a left oblique axis. And um, if you look at pages 19 through 21 of the current concepts on the pelvis, there's pictures of each plane of motion along with some references on the possible degrees of motion available for each movement. So that's somewhere I would definitely take a look. Um, you'll see that they're pretty small amounts of movement, and we'll discuss that a little bit um, further along as well. But I think it's important to kind of, especially with the sacral torsions, it can get a little bit confusing. So taking a look at those pictures can be a nice um, visual aid for that. So, I mean, I don't know if you have anything to add to looking at those different uh, visuals for some of this. Uh, no, I would just really agree. I would definitely take a look at them. Um, you know, there's some other resources out there, too, for visual aids. But I personally think that the SI is best understood visually. Um Mm -hmm. But I think that the information that you're going over, Alexis, is important to understand before you try and look at those pictures, because sometimes they try to represent all of those things in one image. And if you're not aware of what you're looking at or at detail, right. it can be difficult to discern. Yep, absolutely. So the pelvis enables smooth and efficient transfer of load throughout the body from the upper extremities to the lower extremities and vice versa, as well as from one extrem lower extremity to the other during gait. The pelvis is also a force generator during many different human movements. So, for example, during gait, um, forces transfer from the pelvis to the foot to cause supination. In addition to load transfer and force generation, the pelvis acts as a primary stabilizer for maintaining static and dynamic stability of the body. So the pelvic joints need stable mobility. And this is achieved through muscular strength and the ability to cause tension in the ligaments. Um, so two other terms I want to talk about, uh, form closure, which is the fit between the sacrum and the anominance. So it's kind of how those two bones fit together. And again, there can be some variability, not only between two different people, but also from side to side um, on the same person. And then force closure is talking about how the pelvic muscles and ligaments work together to maintain stability. Um, so when we're talking about local systems, we're talking about muscles that are essential for Intrapelvic stabilization, which include muscles of the pelvic floor, the TA, the diaphragm, and the multifidi. Um, it also includes increasing intra-abdominal pressure, increasing fascial tension, and increasing articular stiffness. So that's just talking about force closure of that local system. So using those different muscles and being able to properly um, obtain intra-abdominal pressure in order to increase fascial tension. 
when we're talking about uh, the global system, we're looking at the four slings um, of muscle systems, which stabilize the pelvis regionally. So um, the four slings we're going to talk about are the posterior oblique sling, anterior oblique sling, longitudinal sling, and the lateral sling. So the posterior oblique sling includes the lats and the glute max. The anterior oblique sling is the external oblique with the contralateral internal oblique and adductor. The longitudinal sling is the peroneae biceps femoris, sacrotuberous ligament, thoracolumbar fascia, and the erector spinae. And then the lateral sling is the glute med, the TFL, and the lateral stabilizers of the thoracopelvic region. So, um, so again, those are just talking about the different um, areas that, that are able to, and the different muscular systems that work together to, to get that stability of the pelvis, that mobile stability that we're looking for. Um, so like I mentioned before, just a few other concepts. The pelvis is highly variable, both between individuals and often from one side to the other in the same individual. The movements of the pelvis are closely affected by the lumbar spine and the hip due to muscular and ligamentous attachments crossing these joints. The movements of the pelvis are very small. So like I said, if you look back at the current concepts, they have those um, references of, of how much movement in each joint. Um, I don't think that those are necessarily numbers we need to read off to you guys on here, but it's understanding that there's a very small amount of movement that's happening um, between the joints of the pelvis. And due to the variability of the shape of these joints, as well as the small amount of movement, manual palpation, and even many special tests are very poor. It's really important that we use a cluster of objective tests along with a very good subjective report to assess and treat patients with pelvis and SI joint dysfunction. And that's really what we're going to dive into on the next episode is, you know, how do we use these clusters? What are these clusters? Um, what things should we be listening to our for from our patients um, in order to really best treat the pelvis and SI joint? Because there is so much variability. Um, I really think of all the areas of the body, there's a lot we don't understand, uh, but it does play such an important role in that force transmission. And we need to make sure that we're really understanding as best as we can. So, um, Amanda, is there anything that you wanted to add in this kind of brief overview of anatomy and biomechanics? No, I don't think so. I would just say, you know, break this part down well. And then I think, you know, I think when I was doing my OCS exam, learning this part much better than I probably ever understood it before that. And then trying to learn some more of the assessment and treatment was a lot easier. Stuff mm -hmm. a lot yeah. Better. Yeah. And like I said in the beginning, you know, we don't normally feel like going over anatomy and biomechanics is really worthwhile for us to provide to you guys. But I think in this situation, it is just a really, um, again, it's so variable from person to person. And I think that this is just an area that if we didn't touch on this before we started diving into clusters of tests and treatment and all that, it, it could have gotten a little bit confusing. So, um, so we just want to make sure we kind of reviewed all this stuff. So um, as always, if you guys have questions, feel free to send us an email, uh, make sure that you check out what we've got going on on the Patreon page, and we will uh, see you next time for the discussion of assessment and treatment of the pelvis. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.